Thank you, Mark and Graham. Thank you for that reading as well. And good evening, lovely people. And if you are with us for the first time, it may be a long time or the first time full stop. Um, I will tell you now that this year in our evening service, we have been exploring the Gospel of Luke. And it is a year-long service going from when Jesus was born all the way through to the ascension into heaven. And we'll get there sometime in December. But here we are, kind of midway through. And we've hit the section which you could call good teachings and parables. And last week, Liz spoke to us about the rich fool. A few weeks before that, we had a bit of a chat about the good Samaritan. And now we come across what I guess you might consider to be a bit of a nothing parable. And I say that because blink and you'll miss that it's a parable. In fact, if you didn't have Peter in the middle saying something and asking a question about this parable, you could even question whether or not it was a parable at all. This idea of the watchful servant. In fact, such is the problem with this particular parable that unlike the good Samaritan, that has a strong title, unlike the rich fool that has a title, unlike the parable of the seed, which has a good title, this doesn't actually have a title with it. Some call it watchfulness, as Graham said. Some call it the parable of the good servant. Some people call it the parable of the good and evil servant. It all is a little bit confusing. And if we're being honest, It's all a little bit depressing as well. As we come to the end of the reading, there's lots of talks about having one or two blows given to those who are dodgy. And if you're all right, don't worry, you'll have less blows as well. It is a bit of a confusing one. But there is, I guess you could say, a fundamental message behind it all. And that really is to be watchful. To be watchful for when the Lord will come. Because we don't know when the Lord will come. We don't know when we will meet Jesus. Either to meet him in heaven or for him to return. We are called to be ever watchful. And in one sense, I could finish there and say, job done. Let's move on to the parable next week. But there is a little bit more going on than all of that. A few weeks ago, when we started looking at the parables and the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the things I said to look out for in the parables, which didn't come from me, but Jeremy Duff, who's principal of St. Pardon's College, is the twist. Where in the parable is the twist? Where in the parable is the stuff that is really, really unusual? Where is the stuff that doesn't make any sense at all to those who might have been hearing it for the first time. And perhaps, just perhaps, in this particular passage, in this particular parable, the twist comes with the relationship between the master and the good servant. We can take it as a given that the master represents Jesus, and Jesus has gone out to a wedding banquet, which is another symbol of heaven. And we know, as he promised, 
he will return. But what is incredible is the way in which he treats the servant in his absence. This servant isn't just a servant. This servant is a trusted employee. This servant is more like a manager. This is somebody who is trusted to look after the master's house, to look after the master's estate, to look after everything that the master has, that the master holds dear. And where the twist is, comes with Peter's question. Is this for us or this for everyone? And Jesus, in not really answering directly, basically says, this is for everyone. Everyone who comes to believe and follow him. Everyone who does the will of the Lord. Everyone who will call themselves a follower of Christ. Everyone who calls themselves a Christian is like the servant. Everyone is trusted by the master to look after the household until he returns. What sort of a numpty leaves people like us in charge of their household? Because this doesn't just go down now for the vicars. This isn't for the bishops. This isn't the Archbishop of Canterbury's territory. This is every single Christian. The second you give your life to Christ, the second you become a follower, you are counted as a servant. Not just a servant, a high-ranking servant who is charged with looking after all these things. You are charged with looking after all the things of earth while the master is away. And that, boys and girls, makes absolutely no sense at all. When I was 16, my friend got me my first job. His uncle was a steward at a workings men's club and he got me my first job there. My first job in my first job was to collect glasses. My second job, having successfully collected glasses, was to be trained to wash the glasses. My third job, which I was also trained to do in the same evening, was to learn how to put those glasses back on a shelf. I was not initially trusted with going behind the bar. I was not entrusted with the things of the till. I was not entrusted with things like stock taking. And I was certainly not entrusted with throwing out drunks. All those things were deemed beyond my pay grade. I had to start at the very bottom. A few months later, I progressed to working behind the bar and after screwing up a few times, I was allowed to carry on and had more responsibilities given to me. But the idea is, often when we, in a worldly context, begin a new job, we start at the bottom. We start on the lowest run and we work ourselves up. But here, Jesus is saying straight off, When you are my follower, you are promoted to the top. And the best job you can be given was looking after the things that are his until he returns. And of course, all of this fits in with the rest of the Gospels. All of it fits in with the rest of the canon of Scripture. 
Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, I will return, but you were in charge until I come back. Even when God gave creation over to Adam, he told him to go and till the land and basically said to him, make what I've been given better. Do something good with this creation. The Lord gives us the things of creation, the things that are precious to him, the things that are of him for us to look after until he comes back. And that is an absolutely awesome, awesome responsibility. And it can sound quite daunting when you say it like that, that we are entrusted so highly by the Lord that he puts us basically in charge of all of his affairs until he comes back. But then you see what an honour that is. Because... That is how the Lord sees us. That is how much trust he puts in us. That is how much he values us. And that is how he sees us. As so significant, so important, so blessed by him that he is willing to go away and leave us in charge. It can sound daunting. It can sound like a heavy responsibility. But it comes because the Lord views us in such a way, such a loving way, that we are deemed to be good. And this goes for absolutely everything. This goes for creation. This goes for the message of the gospel. This goes for the miracles that Jesus did. This goes for the ministry of healing. When Jesus was about to go to heaven, he said to his disciples, greater things than these you will see. It goes for absolutely everything. We are called to be in charge until he returns. We are valued in such a way. The next question comes, what are we going to do with that responsibility? What on earth do we do while the master is away? What do we do with all these things that the Lord gives to us? Do we stress about it? Do we look to do nothing about it? Do we try to keep it ticking over? Or do we look to use the trust that he has given to us to reach out and bless others? Do we use the trust the Lord has given us over creation to seek to improve creation? Or do we think that that is something we can't do, something that is beyond us? Do we actually believe that we can pray for miracles and see miracles happen? Do we believe that we can pray for healing and see healing happen? Do we believe that when we tell people the message of Jesus and his salvation, that people will come to believe? The Lord gives us this responsibility and says, go, take, use, and be watchful for when I return. Watchful for when I come back. 
Use it until I come back. And by the way, try your best not to screw it up. And there's a real danger, I guess, that we don't do the things of building the gospel because we are scared of screwing up. We are scared of getting it wrong. The truth is, we will get lots of things wrong. Historically, we have, and we will continue to do so. The world is in the mess that the world is in for a reason. It is because of people and people's actions. But none of that should prevent us from seeking to do more. The greatest danger that we can have is lock the doors of the master's house and say, I'm going to keep this on lockdown until the law comes back. I don't want to risk anything. I don't want to do anything in case I make a mistake. Whereas the Lord says, go and use the things. Go and do and go and build the kingdom of God. Go and be like a faithful servant doing the kingdom of God. Share in the master's work. And when the Lord is ready to come back, don't be found hiding. Don't be found skiving. Don't be found watching. And one of the biggest things of human nature, I guess, is to do those things as well. When I worked in that working men's club, there was another glass collector there as well. And he taught me many things about how to collect glasses. He taught me how to press the button on the dishwasher. And he taught me how to put the glasses back on the shelf. But he also taught me where the snooker room was to have a sit down when he needed it. He taught me how to have a good skive. And when the boss would come along, he also taught me where to hide as well, so that you wouldn't get caught out. Human nature means that sometimes we switch off. We switch off from the master. We switch off from the master's expectations. And when we think the master isn't watching, we tend to try and push the boundaries a little bit. If the bishop was to come here today, the new bishop, I wonder if my attitude would be slightly more different. Will I speak with a direct Merthyr accent or will I start saying the words like Coke and Bath <laughs> in her presence or his presence or wherever they might be? Will I posh it up for the sake of seeking to impress the boss? Will I dress it up? The chances are probably... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is something in nature for us to do it. And one of the reasons why we do this is because on a human level, we have a tendency to fear those who are in authority, fear those who are in charge of us, and fear what they can do to us. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. His return isn't something to be fear, isn't something to fear at all. And one of the things that perhaps we do so naturally is fear meeting the Lord. I will confess now 
that the thought of death scares me. I'll confess now that the thought of Jesus coming back at any moment scares me. I can do the Christian thing and say, oh yes, I'm not affected by those things, but I'm a human. And in my human self, those things can be scary. The thought of not being here can be scary. The thought of not being on earth anymore can be scary. The thought of being forgotten can be scary. But that is where we also need to change our perspective. We need to not see ourselves as citizens of the world as much as we need to see ourselves as citizens of heaven. We need to not see earth as our home, as Aberystwyth, as our home, as Wales or England or anywhere else as our home, but the kingdom of heaven as our home. When we meet the Lord, that is our return home. When we meet the Lord, that is when we come into fullness. Now we are exiles. Now we are foreigners in a strange land. But the day will come when we will return home. The day will come when the master will return and find us watching. And the day will come when the reward will be great. So much of it is a question of perspective. And so much of it is a question of vision as well. Is our vision in the Lord or is our vision in earthly things? Because we, when we become servants of the Lord, need to change our perspective. The word servant is the one which perhaps more than anything is very telling. Because we no longer serve ourselves. We no longer serve our own desires. We no longer serve our own wants. We serve the master who calls us, the master who saved us, the master who gives us all for us, the master who calls us to tell other people about him that they too will be servants. This isn't just a message for us as the question that Peter asked. This is for everyone. We need to change our perspective and focus on the glory of heaven. We need to change our perspective and see ourselves as servants of the Lord. We need to change our perspective and see what an honour that is, not a subordinate role. We need to see our calling and what we are called to do as servants until the master returns. And we are called to give all glory to the master because it is the master who we serve and not ourselves. This parable is a hard one to get our heads around. And when we read it just as we read it, it can feel like a scary one as well. But fundamentally, it is the most positive of parables because it is about the glory of the Lord 
and the promise of the Lord to us. What the Lord promises to all those who love him, all those who believe in him, and all those who will follow him. This is a promise. Our call is to put our vision in the Lord. Our call is to follow him. Our call is not to take our eyes off of him. Our call is to look to serve him. May we serve the master here on earth until he returns, until he calls us home. Let us be his servants and may he continue to bless us. Let's pray. Father God, just to begin with now, we give thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. And we give thanks for the sacrifice that he made for us. We give thanks that he became man, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered unto death. He was crucified and he rose again. We give thanks that because of what he has done, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we have the right to call ourselves your servants. And so, to begin with, we say sorry from the times when we have neglected our duties as your servants, for the times when we've skived, for the times that we've taken our eyes off of you, for the times when we've looked to follow our own will. And we give thanks, Father God, that you forgive us and that you embrace us in your perfect love. And we pray now that we would take seriously the call to be your servant and what that means, what it means while we are here on earth, what it means for our call to the people of this planet what it means for creation what it means for the sake of the gospel what it means for those who do not yet believe that we would take seriously our call and we pray Lord that we would put our perspective in you that we would follow your ways in the way that leads to everlasting life. That we would acknowledge that this is just a drop in the ocean of eternity which we will spend with you. That we would have that perspective now. And Lord, we pray that as even we continue to worship now, you would grow that perspective in us the perspective of eternity, not now. We pray that you would give us vision. And we pray that you would give us vision of eternity. You would give us vision of our calling here on earth. You would give us vision in who we are in you. Come, Lord, send your spirit upon us. And may your spirit rest in us. And as we have heard those words, do not fear. 
may we not fear and may your supernatural peace just fall on us now come Lord be our strength be our master let us be your servants and help us to be your vision Amen.